Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Welcome back to the Curious Podcast. My name is Josh Peck and I'm your host and your name is Listener and that's what you do. You listen. Um, yeah, this is uh, still a weird time, still a weird, weird, weird thing. But we're here and we're living and we're surviving together. And you know what else we're doing? We're listening to podcasts. So it can't be that bad, right? I mean, fuck. You know, our wonderful, uh, blessed troops as they were storming Normandy and they were approaching in the U-boats, they didn't fucking, they weren't blasting Yeezy in their ear. They weren't listening to Planet Money or some fun NPR podcast, you know, talking about climate change and pandemics and why the current socioeconomic system just doesn't work. They were in the boat, staring at each other in the face, about to face the goddamn realities of war. They fought for our freedoms. No, I don't I don't mean to make light of it. They fucking fought for our freedoms. And and that was a pivotal moment in our, our existence and deep and um and violent and a lot of people a lot of people made a lot of sacrifice. And this similarly what's going on, you know, in the world right now. I mean, this is this pandy is fucking real and people will remember this. And from my older friends who've lived through maybe not, you know, World War II, but through similar huge events in our, you know, in our history, people in their 60s and 70s, and they're like, yeah, man, this is weird. I don't, we're, I'm not sure if, uh, you know, anything has sort of disrupted or sort of shaken up our normal routine quite like this, but... But here we are. We're living through history. We're going to have stories. I'm going to have fucking stories. I mean, we're going to, this is going to be when Corona blank, you know? I remember when Corona blank. Like, that's what it's going to be. I'll never forget when, you know, 9-11, JFK, the Vietnam War, the Berlin Wall, you know? When Corona, that's what we're going to say. It's going to be historical. Um, I was just at the, I was just at the, the grocery store, you know, doing the essentials. I'm not out gallivanting. 
I try to keep it. I try to keep a pretty tight ship. Listen, I'm not. I'm not on a true quarantine. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm not fucking. You know hold up in my apartment with no access to the outside world. I go out, I get groceries and whatnot for the family. I go pick up pharmaceuticals for my mother. Listen, I'm no saint. I'm no saint. But, you know, listen, people, uh, they need their things, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pro- I probably cut down my interactions with people and my normal sort of socializing 95%. So I'm just going out to get, you know, groceries and the and the paper goods, and to get my mom some farmies, some pharmaceuticals. But uh, today I was I was at a Whole Foods because my wife made me a list. Like I don't I you know like we were preparing for winter. I mean, uh, she gave me a list, and God bless this woman because she's a gem. And only my wife would give me a list where there were three sections: produce, frozen, dry goods. I mean, I didn't. That is just so wonderfully my wife. I was going to, you know what? I was going to do something that is no longer appropriate and I'm glad it's not. And I was going to, you know, assume gender roles and I was going to project that that's a very woman thing to do. That's what I was going to say. I'm going to tell on myself. I was going to say that's, that is so female. Never see a man make a list like that. (laughs) We're too busy drinking and fixing, fixing shit. (laughs) <laughs> and shitting and and uh being bros being dudes that's a real female thing but no it's a fucking person thing and to assume that one gender does anything is just stupid and easy and just cheap so i'm not going to make that joke but i am going to tell on myself cuz this quarantine has brought out a lot of honesty in me a lot of honesty but i went to the store for my wife and now listen I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to misrepresent myself here. These store people, they're fucking, they are heroes. These are our frontline workers putting their, you know, health and safety on the line at every turn. And I, I respect that. And how do I show my respect? Well, Scott Galloway talked about this and I couldn't agree with him more. I'm tipping big. He said, you know how you give back during a fucking pandemic? You act like a baller. Start tipping large because people need the dough. And if you got a little bit of scratch, spread it around because people are really, you know, having a tough time. So I've been tipping tens like they were ones. I'm giving $10 bills here like I would give a single, like willy nilly. And I'm not here to, you know, brag because I am not a rich man, not by any stretch. But I got, you know, listen, I got a very middling podcast some people listen to occasionally at times and i uh just yeah you know so i'm 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 spreading it around i'm trying to give back i'm trying to do nice things for the people who are working hard and yet i was at the whole foods and there is just like sometimes even the people that work there are a little impressed with themselves (laughs) I asked, uh, you know, I nicely went up to this one guy and he's working there and I, and granted, I'm sure he's inundated. I'm sure he's inundated. And it, look, this is not a, you know, a, a crappy part of town. This is a, a reasonably nice, you know, mid to high level socioeconomic part of the fucking, you know, Los Angeles County. So I have no doubt that he's dealing with annoying, you know, soccer moms and fucking lawyers and just a just a myriad of of, of privileged dicks 
on a daily basis. I have no doubt. And this pandemic, it's just extra stress. But I go up to this guy, nice, you know? I'm like, I'm asking myself as I walk up to him, I'm like, is it inappropriate to tip a grocery store worker? Because I'll throw 10 in his pocket like it, like, it, like it was nothing. You know what I'm saying? I will do this. It would be my pleasure. And I'm not trying to show off here. I'm just trying to do a nice thing. But I see this guy say, excuse me, sir. Excuse me. I'm looking for a fried onion. I've been told that I need a, my wife would like to make a salad with a fun crunch. Do you happen to know? And I'm like, and I'm in my really, I'm in my like white people, like very <laughs> like reserved, like, hi, how are you? Hi, um, may I ask you a question, sir? Like, I was just in like my Midwest, you know, most congenial, like just utterly polite voice. And I was like, excuse me, sir, would you happen to know where the crunchy fried onions are? Um, do you, you know, it's something that you would probably dress a green bean casserole with, perhaps. Um, but my wife wants to use it as like a fun, like a fun salad upgrade. Do you, um, are you familiar with its whereabouts within this uh, Whole Foods? And this guy looks at me like I'm a fucking asshole. This guy took out weeks of pandemic stress on me. And I get it. I understand. This guy is under a lot of stress. I have no doubt. But I'm just here looking for crunchy fried onions for a fun salad upgrade. I'm not looking to start a fight. I'm not COVID-19 in human form. Don't hate me. I'm Josh Peck, <laughs> like I'm just try I'm just a resident of LA County here trying to get some crunchy fried onions for a salad upgrade. And this guy looks at me like I'm a fucking asshole. <laughs> he goes, uh, he goes, that's seasonal. We don't carry that. I go, ah, yeah, but you do. I don't say it like that, right? But I know that I've been we've been eating crunchy salad for months, okay? It hasn't been Thanksgiving since the end of November. I've been eating crunchy salad out the yin-yang. I know you fucking have it. <laughs> it's here. There's someone here, and I just don't, I'm not the one who buys the crunchy salad upgrades, so I, I can't, I don't, I'm not sure of its proximity, and you are employed here, and thus, technically, traditionally, uh, I, you know, the customer asks you where something is politely, and then maybe perhaps you point them in the right direction. So this guy goes, it's seasonal. I say, Actually, um, I, I've, I, I think we've bought them here before. Perhaps I, I just again congenial. I'm in my perfect polite pandemic pentameter. Okay, triple P. And he he cuts me off. He goes, "Well, it's a small store." Now, granted, I know it's a small store. I wanted to say, "Oh, I'm so, I." God, sorry, I thought we were at the fucking Staples Center. My, I must have to clean my eyes. Because I thought we were in a fucking Walmart. Yeah, I know it's a small store. I live here. I've been coming here. You can bet that I've been coming here for months. Years even. You think I, you think I don't have got eyes and don't know that this isn't like one of the smaller Whole Foods in the area? 
that this isn't one of their flagship stores, that if someone was going to invest in the Whole Foods brand, perhaps they wouldn't bring them to this particular store. They'd bring them to a more majestic, legacy, iconic store. I fucking know that. I didn't say that. What I said was, okay, um, do you think my wife wanted to use it as a crunchy salad upgrade? Is there a chance perhaps you go salad aisles that way? And then he just turns away. Salad aisles that way. Oh, is that also the direction in which I can go fuck myself? Because I'll just, if so, I'd love to take a running head start. I would just, I'd like, if I'm going to fuck myself, I want to sprint into it. Because I think I would. I didn't say anything. I walked away. I might have mentioned something under my breath. I don't think he heard me. Um, I didn't. You know what? The guy is stressed. And our. this is crazy times, especially for our frontline workers. And thus, I didn't. I didn't fucking take it to him in a way that I just would have. I, I would have loved to write this injustice. I would have loved to say to him. I, I would have loved to say, hey, excuse me, you fuck. Um, hey, fuck. Sorry. Are you. Uh, fu- you fuck you. Um, I'm not asking that. I'm asking you to help me find a certain crunchy salad upgrade. So why don't you accompany me to the salad aisle and do your fucking job and don't give me a poor attitude. Otherwise, we're going to have problems here and fists, elbows, and or knees could be thrown. I would never say that. But uh, in the movie of my life that I write in my head, that's how I would reply. I, but in reality, I did what really happens is what happened, which was I smiled, gave him a half hearted thank you, even though he was utterly useless. And I just, uh, yeah. And now I, I just, uh, lament about it on my podcast, which is the most privileged, um, champagne problem you could ever have in your whole life. <laughs> so anyway, don't go to that Whole Foods. Um, but go to Whole Foods. It's you know it's a fine store. They have a lot of they have a lot of things. Um, what else? What else is going on on today's show? Brian Saka. Brian Saka. Uh, Brian Saka is a great comedian, actor, writer. Um, has a new movie out or was just recently out called Buffalo that he wrote and produced. Um, he's just a great guy. I've known him for many years. He wrote on a on uh, an award show and uh, that I was presenting it. And that's how we initially met. And then you'll hear more about how we've been in each other's lives. He actually um, sort of, I apologize, but the podcast sort of starts out, I guess we weren't recording early on, but we were, we're talking about a time in which he and uh, some crazy other famous people opened up for Dave Chappelle uh, while, you know, everybody was in like their late teens, early twenties for a college show. Uh, where Dave Chappelle was terribly late. So if you start listening to this pod and you're a little confused, that's what we're talking about. He opened for Dave Chappelle and Dave Chappelle was two hours late. So him and his comedy troupe had to go up and kind of buy some time for good good old David. And and the, the, the kids, the crowd, they weren't happy. They were not enjoying themselves. So that is sort of the context. But um, I had a great chat with Brian. He's just the best. And go check out his movie, 
What, what else are you going to do? Fucking go rent it on VOD. I'm, is it on that? I'm sure it is on that or on the Amazon. Treat yourself. It's actually really great. My wife and I watched it and totally enjoyed it. And it's a good, you know, it's a fun movie night thing because we're all spending a lot of time at home right now. So, um, yeah. And we, we chatted at actually at the beginning of February. So, you know, if, if you're wondering why we're talking about Michael Bloomberg still being in the presidential race, well, you know, that explains it. So why not? Let's do it, right? Fuck it. Let's just jump right in. Let's dive in like a warm bath and just enjoy Brian Saka. You were in a sketch comedy group right out of college. Yes. Well, did it did it start in college? It did. It was like um you know, some colleges have those groups where it's like uh uh, it's kind of like a mainstay of the school. Mm. It was like that, but um, the guy who who like started it and was running it left school and wanted to kind of take it away from the school, and so he he cast me, which is weird. He was like, "You're a funny dude. I want you to be in my sketch group," and uh, um, and so he cast me just for the show. He was like, wow. "You're gonna come and do this show with us," and so I went and I did the show. Um, and then he was like, stay on this group. And and it was an awesome group. We had some amazing members. We Nick Kroll was a member of the group. I don't know if you know Nick. Yeah. John Mulaney was a member of the group. It was like some real awesome dudes. And we were all in our early 20s just figuring shit out. What school? I went to NYU. They went to Georgetown. But oh. we all kind of like found each other afterwards. But this was through NYU. And is our Mulaney and Kroll in the audience waiting to heckle you? No, they Shabazz? weren't a part of that. They came in, they came <laughs> in later. Um, it, oh, God. Oh. The people that were in the audience, I don't even know if I talk to any of them anymore. Like that night was so traumatic that we were all just like, see you later. Yeah, you can't come back from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like you were, it was like you were the plant, right? And you were, you had the wire on and you had to go do the drug deal. <laughs> and you're like talking to the guys in the van, like, you got me, right? Yeah. Like, if I say Houdini, you're going to break through the door, right? <laughs> yeah, and they didn't it. save you. They didn't save me. They couldn't save me. Because it would be like if I, if I was selling drugs and I was trying to sell drugs to 5,000 people and then I only had five people on my team. And I was like, come save me. And they're like, sorry, man, there's 5,000 of them. You're, you're on your own. You're on your own. Wait, so if Chappelle is two hours late, did you have to vamp for two hours? No, we waited for an hour. Oh, so they're already pissed. So they're pissed. Also, that night, James Madison was in, uh, was in some... A huge basketball game. It mm -hmm. was like the best they had been in 50 years, whatever James Madison does in basketball. I don't know. And um, sports shit. Sports shit. Yeah. <laughs> I know some sports shit. College basketball, nothing. Um, but they, uh, so everyone was pissed because they were missing the game. They were hoping to like squeeze in the Chappelle set and then go see the game. Ah. And, um, and so, yeah, they all missed the game. And then I will say the second set, we had two sets that night. Second set, Chappelle. He was there, but then he decided to go take a walk and smoke some weed. So he left. So again, he was an hour and a half late. And they were pissed off. Everybody's angry. 
And, and I had to go do it. Like, we had no other open. So we went out there, and I just, I lost it. I was like, you fucking inbred motherfuckers. Like, really? it was West Virginia, and I went, and they loved it. They were like, <laughs> yay, yay, guy. Thanks for calling us inbreds. So it was funny. I was just in Kirksville, Missouri, doing a Truman University. Oh, wow. Good time. Great school, great people. Cool. And it was funny because I was, I, you know, I, I, I do like some ringer shit when I get there where I, I ask the students like, hey, are there any inside jokes? Yeah. Anything specific to the university? Like if you mention their local watering hole, <laughs> you're like, hey guys, maybe later we'll go to Rusty's and get a couple two for ones. They'll uh, they go nuts. Yeah. <laughs> it's so easy. <laughs> and then I just have an onslaught of DMs like, so where are you? I'm here at Rusty's. I'm like, you fucking nuts. Yeah, exactly. You're 19. I'm a 33 year old man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, oh, God. That, that is an interesting interesting thing about this business uh is that because we portray ourselves as like and and i am an incredibly fun loving dude that, yeah. that wants to hang out but like you like i'm 40 like <laughs> i'm old it hurts to go out so when yeah. people are like hey you're gonna join us later i'm like no man like i am so excited about going to my hotel room and like maybe watching half of a movie and then passing out like that's the greatest thing that could happen to me right now not doing Jaeger shots with you tonight. Like, that's what I don't, that's my nightmare. Oh, that is such a signpost of age where, like, when you have a child and you're past 30, where a, a movie, like, a 90-minute movie, that's just too long. It's too long. It's too long. A 40-minute show is too long yeah. sometimes. Oh, God. That's, I, I remember... Uh, when we when we had my daughter, I have a five year old, and uh, so cute. So she's cu so cute on your you. IG. Thank you. Love have, the vids. We make vids together. She um, she desperately wants to be a director, which I'm huge. I'm huge on. I love that uh, because when she was two, she said, "Daddy, I want to be an actor." And I was like, oh, no, this is terrifying. Like, I will steer you in any other direction than that. Uh, but she wants to be a director, and she's directing me, and that's super fun. But when we had her, uh, it was one of those years, I don't know if you've experienced this, where you get a surplus of screeners, like like so many screeners. And I was like, yeah, we got a newborn. We're just going to sit at home and watch screeners. And she was an incredibly fussy child. And so <laughs> oh. we would, like, watch five. I remember it took us six days to watch Foxcatcher because it was like we would watch five minutes and then she would lose it and then we'd have to figure something out and then it would we'd be like all right let's jump back in we watch another five minutes and be like oh wait we'll pause it and and that's what life is it's just like segments of movies until now to be honest now she sleeps and so I get to watch stuff is that I had a friend who was on the pod and she basically had such awful sleep deprivation that she had to go see a psychiatrist because she was like, I'm going to kill myself. Uh, my wife said the exact same thing. Really? Yeah, because here were the two, the made game factors. Our daughter had a crazy allergy where she was allergic to dairy, soy, and nuts oh, fuck for a year. off. And for the first year of her life. So she couldn't have any formula. Um, she could only basically have breast milk if my wife hadn't eaten any of those things. If my wife did eat those things, she would shit blood. It was no. intense. It was awful. And so it started when she was like four weeks old. And so that meant that my wife would have to feed most nights. And, my, and our daughter would wake up about every hour and a half because she was in pain because her stomach hurt. Right. And so my wife was averaging like 
two, three hours a night for six months. And she was just broken and understandably so. And I'll never forget, uh, I, I had shot the pilot for Wrecked and, um, and we were going to shoot our first season and we were kind of freaking out. Like, how are we going to do this? I'm going to, I was moving to Puerto Rico for three months. And, uh, and then two nights before I left for Puerto Rico, my daughter's allergy kicked, went away. And they said when she's about a year old, that was when she was about a year old, it was going to go away. And it kicked and it went away and she slept through the nights. And then it was great ever since. And it's wow. been awesome. But it was, that first year was brutal for my wife and for me less is, but mostly for my wife. I, you only have one kid? Yeah. I only have one, and he's 14 months, and I look at this beautiful child, and other than my desire to not make him a weird only child, because <laughs> I'm an only child, and your boy is sensitive, <laughs> like, I think it's the only negative of not having siblings is that when you're an only child, you only have adults around you who show you respect, yeah. and thus you have no like monsters breaking your balls on a daily basis. <laughs> So maybe yeah. a little, little, yeah. little sensitive, but otherwise, I'd be like, um, other than that, I see no reason to give you a sibling and disrupt my life. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll say to to counteract your point of being sensitive only child, I'm incredibly sensitive, and I'm a younger brother, so there right. you go. Like, <laughs> I had a guy kicking my ass every day for for a good, you know, fourteen years until he went to school. And it definitely created a different sensitivity in me. So I'm sure. Yeah. Wait, does was there any reasoning to why the allergy happens for one year and then goes away? No, it's just this weird thing that like when we discovered it, uh the the allergy doctor was like, this is something that happens in kids. Um it has a name that I've forgot, but uh she was like, there's no reason for it. There's no reason why I can come, and it'll go away. And she was like, hopefully it'll go away, and it did. And wow. she's, my daughter can eat everything. It's totally fine. We feel very lucky for that. I was like, if this is forever, this is going to be a hard life for her. But it's not. It's great. That's so, yeah. I remember the first time we gave my kid peanuts, we did it in the lobby of his pediatrician. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like, I'm not going to be... In my apartment while this kid's going to anaphylaxis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Get the EpiPen. We don't have one. Of course. Um, yeah, we did the same thing. Uh, and we had we used this uh, this Israeli peanut snack. Bomba? Bomba. Yeah. I'm part of the tribe. There you go. You I know it well. You know Bomba. <laughs> so yeah, that's because they were like, it's it's just a little bit of peanut. So we gave her some bomba. Scared shitless, but she was fine. Not only was she fine, I'm sure she loved that bomba. She loved it, yeah. It's peanut Cheetos. It's the best thing in the world. I don't know why this isn't a huge snack in America. It's delicious. Healthier than Cheetos, not healthy, but healthier than Cheetos. Definitely. Uh, and I, I was eating more bomba than she was. It's anti-Semitism, Brian. That's right. Oh, that's it. It's definitely <laughs> they just don't want us to fly still. <laughs> 80 years later, they don't <laughs> yes. want us to fly. Especially in the snack market. <laughs> yeah. We're not letting them take over the snack market. They're like, who's behind Bamba? George Soros? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's it. Bamba God. by Michael Bloomberg and George Soros. <laughs> <laughs> that's how Boomer's going to finish all his ads at the end now. Just like, and Bamba. <laughs> oh, man. Wait, so you grew up in Buffalo? I grew up in a small town outside of Buffalo. And... I got to tell you, I got a couple buff Buffaloians in my life. Yeah. Um, Liz Allen. 
former oh. communications director for President Obama. Heard of him? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, uh, my good friend Barry. Yeah, I know Barry. <laughs> Barry, Barry and I are tight. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Liz Allen, who's about, I think she's like around our age, like mid 30s. She yeah. was on the pod. She's from Buffalo. Wow. My son's pediatrician. Get out. My friend Michelle. <laughs> uh, pediatrician in LA from Buffalo. Yeah. Wow. Good for him or her. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not giving the name out because I know you're I all gonna. It. You're all gonna hop on my pediatrician. You can have her. Okay. <laughs> I don't need to be waiting months on end to get an appointment. Um, and but it seems as though Buffalo makes some beautiful people. No. Buffalo builds a character in the best way mm. i i i love that i grew up there uh because it's like it's rough around the edges but it is still it's got a safety of suburbia um the only thing i wish were different is losing four super bowls in a row yeah just i i have no heroes like everybody that i'm ever like oh that person's great i'm like but they're going to win a Super Bowl or they're going to lose a Super Bowl. Sorry, I messed it up. But it's like everybody I know failed in, right. my, in my childhood. But besides that, uh, I am an incredibly pessimistic person. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, yeah, Buffalo was a, a lovely place to grow up. It's a weird place. It's a quirky place. Why uh, is it weird? Um, we're like, uh, I would say we're, we're like if Chicago had like a weird stepchild that smoked too many cigarettes. Like it's Sick. we're the foods we like are a little bit like off kilter and like what? Obviously wings. Obviously wings. We got this thing called Look. beef on wick, which is an amazing sandwich, but it's really just a roast beef sandwich with a salty roll. Um mm. it's not even like, you know, uh the Arjou we get down at Philippe's. Like it's it's a it's a little bit weird. I love it. I could eat a thousand of them. Um, we got Loganberry, which is like this weird type of fruit juice drink that everybody mm. drinks. Uh, there's just a bunch of like weird kind of like culinary adjacent foods, but they're delicious. I mean, I'll eat the hell out of them. Labatt Blue. Blue. We get blues. I mean, like you got blues, you got Crown Royal. Crown is a huge thing in Buffalo. You guys like cognac up there, huh? Is it just Crown? Crown. It's just Crown Royal. Like you, you do shots of Crown when you go out, and it's Gross. like gross. It's disgusting. <laughs> There's so many things that I'm, I'm like these are things that I've given up when I left Buffalo. Doing shots of Crown is definitely <laughs> one of them. never need to do that again. Um, Jenny Jenny Cream Ale was a huge thing growing up. It's not. It's kind of making a resurgence now, but a, a creamy beer. It's disgusting. It's the worst thing in the world. But like, sounds terrible. All of the older men in my neighborhood would come home every day with a case of Jenny and pound it. And that, that's what life was. It's like let's pound our Jenny tonight and, and get ready to go to the factory tomorrow. Of the of the mecca of upstate New York, we're talking Syracuse, yeah, Rochester, yeah. Buffalo's better than all those places, right? They don't have teams. They don't got teams. They don't got teams. teams. They got all our farm teams. Um, but they, uh, yeah, I mean, like we're we're the epicenter. We got Niagara Falls, which is a dump of a place, but beautiful to go to. <laughs> um, Niagara Falls is basically just one casino, and then just like the remnants of that casino surrounding it. Um, and then. Uh, uh, 
yeah, we got the Bills, we got the Sabres, we got the Bisons that nobody cares about, but the Bisons are great. Um, it's 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 like a it's like a perfect version of small big city America. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, and you, yeah, it's Niagara Falls. So it's I feel like it should be like Buffalo, a little Canadian. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that should be our phrase. Yeah, I mean, right on the border. When I was in high school. The the thing to do is cross the border and go to the strip clubs at night. Yeah, they call the, the Canadian Ballet, and the, they <laughs> they had uh, there was one I'll never forget. Private Eyes had a fantastic steak. You could go over there, get a really nice, cheap, like eleven ninety nine steak, mm. and there would be strippers, and it was awesome. Like, that sounds the, classy. Classy Buffalo is so classy in every way. I remember shooting a movie in Detroit, and so we were like, we got to go into on Windsor, Windsor, mm-hmm. Ontario, yeah. right across the river, go to strip clubs and drink heavily. Yeah, we did both those things, <laughs> and we went to a place called Cheetahs. Lovely, perfect. And it it didn't it didn't disappoint. I mean, it was it was a nice time. Canada's fun. Canada yeah. knows how to have a good time. Like when we shot my movie that takes place in Buffalo, we shot in Canada because it's cheap and they have tax breaks. Uh, every morning, the Canadian crew would come to set with a shit ton of donuts, and I was like, these are like fit young, thirty twenty something year olds, and I was kind of like, you guys you guys eat donuts every morning? They're like. Yeah, donuts are delicious. Why wouldn't we eat them every morning? I was like, that's a great point. Why are we not doing this, guys? It's so Just simple. Donuts and coffee. It's so simple. Let's have donuts and coffee. Yeah, I one thing that I found really reassuring about Canada was that they enjoy their beer. Yeah. They still smoke cigarettes like it ain't a thing. It's <laughs> like Stop being so uptight. This is fun. <laughs> it, isn't it fun? <laughs> yeah, that is very true. I'm like, it is fun. But then they're also like, <laughs> right. like just losing it. Yeah. I remember I was 19 shooting a movie in Vancouver and I just, yeah, I don't, yeah, I was 19. So I was like, cool, I can drink in Canada and I'm going to go. And this is like in the heyday of like my cliche child actor partying days. <laughs> Just sowing the oats. Right. And I'm like, I'm going to do what any respectable person does who's allowed to drink legally. I'm going to sit at a bar by myself <laughs> and order a beer. And these lovely goddamn Canadians see me all my lonesome at the bar. They're like, you should have more drinks. <laughs> I said, Canadian. you're so right. <laughs> I don't know what happened. They started introducing me to a shot that they called the DUI beater. <laughs> Because <laughs> it was like with some like mentholated alcohol, so it was like super minty. Oh, so oh, in theory, they wouldn't smell it on your breath. In theory, the the blood alcohol content meter would be like, oh, he just had some Listerine. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. insane. Good job, Canadians, on that one. I yeah. just I, and I remember getting uh, to the point where I was like, I got I, like we started doing a bar crawl, and eventually I'm like, I want to go. I want to go home. And they're like, you can't because this is great. Yeah. They're also like, I have work. I'm actually here for something. They're yeah. like, work doesn't mean anything. This is Canada. Right. Oh, man. And I, I, oh, go ahead. No, last, but just to close, it was the only time where I woke up in bed, throw up everywhere. Oh, God. And didn't know how I got home. Like, oh, God. Truly didn't know. Oh, I, I have a very similar story. To I'm that. ready. Years ago. I, uh, just speaking of not knowing how to get home, 
I I was producing digital content. I was doing like this um, kind of producing little digital ads. This was almost this was ten years ago now, and um, and I was talking to a mescal company and uh, about doing something. And the owner of the company was like, "Why don't I come to LA? We'll go to the places that serve my mescal and just talk about what the campaign is." I was like, "That's a great idea. Let's do that." He comes to LA, and he's like, uh, "Meet me at this place at Chateau Marmont." We meet there. And uh, he started drinking his mezcal, and it's super strong. And then he's like, the the sommelier there was like, oh, and here's a bottle of wine, because he liked the dude. And then drinking more mezcal. And I don't remember leaving Chateau Marmont, but I guess we hit seven more places that night. And the only picture evidence I have of the night is me standing at the front door of my house with like a limp thumbs up like this, trying to say like, <laughs> I'm good, man, as he dropped me off. And my wife said that she heard like pawing at the door like a cat trying to like claw her way in. And uh, and she opened the door to see what it was and I just collapsed into the floor and she had to drag me into the house. Don't Bad. drink mezcal. Don't drink mezcal. That's my thing. Yeah. <laughs> your, like, your poor wife's like, her daughter has a soy allergy <laughs> and you're out boozing it up. <laughs> I'm like, where is she? I want to kiss her. I love her so much. You can't kiss her. You had wheat. <laughs> you had a trigger. God, skin, skin. Oh, oh my yeah. God. Yeah, that was rough. That was Five years before I had my child, so I'm not an irresponsible parent. I'm an irresponsible <laughs> parent in other ways, but not in that way. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. So you, um, I know you know I I know your brother a little bit yes. too. Yes. Yeah, because our families live near each other. Oh right. Yeah. Oh cool. And and I always want to like make the connection, but then I don't want to you know I don't yeah. know the interactions are tough, right? Just humans, exactly. Well, it's weird because right now we live in two different worlds. We worlds we live here, right? And then we live on our phones, and like that interacting on the phone because there isn't that wall. It can be like, hey, buddy, what's up? We're friends, right? Yet I've had so many interactions where it's like. I've communicated with somebody on the phone, and then we see each other in person. We're like, oh, we've never actually met before. Mm. We've never communicated human to human before, and now this is weird. But obviously, we can make it not weird. So it's just interesting, like you're saying. Like, yeah. It's tough to kind of make those connections sometimes. And you did you guys both go to boarding school? No. And, but you guys went to like a fan. I was reading about you. You went to a fancy schmancy school. I went to a fancy schmancy school. Oh, you school. did. Got he it. went to, uh, for high school, I went to a fancy schmancy school because my brother had such a, uh, I'm trying to think of the politically correct term, horrible experience at our public high school. Oh, really? That my parents were like, we can't send Brian to that school. We got to find somewhere else. And so I commuted to Buffalo for, um, I commuted an hour every day to go to high school because I couldn't go to my local high school. What was it? Because was your brother a smart kid and he got my shit on? the smartest dude in the world still. And he was smarter than his teachers. And so he would often uh, show up his teachers and then they would get pissed and kind of retaliate against him. And uh, I mean, even in middle school, I had teachers being like, oh, you're Chris Sackett's little brother? I'm watching you. Things like that. Wow. And uh, and I remember like there's this this story where my brother went to the guidance counselor at the school and 
and said, I want to go to Georgetown University where my father had gone, my grandfather had gone, my uncle had gone. And the guidance counselor was like, uh, okay, yeah, I'll make a couple calls on that. So a week later, my brother gets a letter that he got a full scholarship to Georgetown. And he's freaking out. He's like, this is amazing. I think he was like a junior at the time. And my dad's like, that's impossible. That's not how it works. That didn't happen. And he looks at the letter, and it was the Georgetown Community College of Kentucky, which is an actual community college that I've gone to. It's outside of Lexington. And this dude, the guidance counselor, just didn't think that my brother could go to Georgetown University because he was from Lockport, New York. Full so, ride, still nice, though. Still nice. I mean, a fantastic <laughs> university. It's a fantastic two-year college. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, – so it was that type of thing where – um, my brother was constantly fighting against uh, low expectations of what he could be, which I think in turn created or at least enhanced the personality that was already there of I'm going to be incredibly successful at, what I, at anything I do. Uh, and he's obviously become incredibly successful at that. Well, for anyone who doesn't know, he's like a badass VC, like invested yeah. in some of the biggest tech companies. Yeah. Um, he was on Shark Tank as a shark. That was huge. Yeah. And him and Mark Cuban got into it a little bit, right? They did. They, they was kind of like on camera getting into it for, for funsies. That was great. That's, That's like great. AC Slater and Zach Morris getting in a fight, you know, like the <laughs> exactly. fan favorites. Yeah, exactly. I will say there was one episode, because I would go for every tape with Chris, and we would like, write lines beforehand that he would could say. Oh, you would give him like alts, yeah, jokes like, and like stuff? Yeah, like here, yeah, take this. It was like fun fun little things. Like cool. put this in your pocket and remember it. I mean, he's brilliant and he did it all himself. But uh, uh, there was one day where he and uh, Herkovec, I think I'm saying his name wrong. Hershevec. Hershevec. Robert. Robert. Software. Yeah, Software Robert. <laughs> he and Robert got into it. And, I, and it didn't really make it to the show, but they were like yelling at each other. And I was wow. like, oh, this is real. Like when my brother and Cuban would kind of go at each other, I'm like, ha, 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 funny, funny, funny. When Chris and Robert got into it, I was like, are we going to have to run on stage? Like this is intense. It was fine afterwards. But what do you, can you give us a little, like what was it, was it over a deal or how they were treating one of the young panures? Um, It was kind of, no, it was over like, attitude towards each other there was some like dude going on um in reference to some type of deal i don't even remember what the company was and and they there's a little bit of that in whatever the episode is but there was more of it off camera because they shoot an hour for each deal on that show i enjoyed i enjoyed being on set for that because they shoot an hour with the companies and then cut that down to eight minutes i've heard that it gets very hot for the entrepreneurs and they start sweating yeah because they stand up there so long and all of the lights are on them like on the i mean it's a huge soundstage on sony and all the lights are on the entrepreneurs and everyone else is just kind of chilling having a nice time was that it's interesting because like it, the and we don't you know and, and this is the last thing I'll say about your bro because it's about you. That's fine. But, but I'm super proud of him and couldn't be happier for him and his success. So I enjoy talking about him. Well, I think what's cool is like you hear about a lot of guys in his world that are like these incredibly intelligent venture capitalists who like you know if they're the first money into your company it says a lot. Mm. And he has this reputation of like if if you're going to get an investor he's who you want. Well, yeah, he and I'll and I'll say on that point, like he he has a brilliant mind when it comes to that stuff. There, mm. there are times where he sees a company that I can't tell you how many times that when he's told me something he's excited about, I'm like, that sounds dumb. 
Like, that's not going to work. Yeah. And then it becomes massive. Like, a great example is Instagram. Why is Instagram better than any of the 30 photo sharing apps that were happening at the exact same time that Instagram came out? I, I don't know, but it it became the biggest thing. Like that it was. Oh, he was on Instagram. He was on Instagram. I thought, and Twitter too, though. Twitter right? too, and Jesus. and Uber. Uber was this big one. Um, and uh, I mean, there's a thousand. You know, there's so many companies on that. And he just he just has one of those minds where it's like, oh yeah, when it, he he can he can really dissect what the core kind of pain point is for a company that they're fulfilling and. And really get behind it. And what makes me excited now and proud is his fund right now is all about climate change. He, right. He's, uh, he's actively investing in companies that, um, that, can, that can help fix the planet. And one of the things I talked to him about, one of the things that he, why he's making it a fund as opposed to just a charity is to show that climate change doesn't just have to be a charitable act. It can be something that we can all, uh, that can, that can uh, build growth, uh, capital growth in, in the world, not just be something that we're going to give money to these scientists. Like, let's build this together and create an economy while also fixing the planet. That's so cool. Like, I, I remember if being, because... I remember being first introduced to him on the startup podcast. Oh, right. Yeah. And, and I was like, that's my friend's brother. Because <laughs> like, as soon yeah. as I was like, because I didn't immediately make the connection, but you guys like definitely look like brothers. Yeah. And then, and what's great about it is, and for anyone that didn't listen, it was this guy, Alex Bloomberg, who was starting this podcasting company. And he was sort of chronicling him actually getting the first money in to set up this company. So he goes to Chris because he has this reputation and he records their first interaction and Alex proceeds to fall on his face <laughs> in the pitch. It's awful. And your brother in a nice way, but also like very direct is like, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. Like you got to work on that pitch and this is how it should have sounded. How was, that was my favorite part is he's like, this is your pitch and he throws it back at him. And that's my brother's build, uh, brilliance is he's like, this is the core of what you're doing right now. Here's your pitch. Now pitch that. And it's like that's a skill. He's a one thing I'll go and and to bring it back to the to both of us is our parents raised us to be storytellers. We're mm -hmm. we're in a family of I'm going to tell you a story and I'm going to make you laugh and it's going to be short and concise and uh, I'm, there's going to be heart to it and you're going to learn something. But here's the cap and now we're all going to laugh at dinner at the dinner table and keep moving with the night. And so my brother took that skill and put it into business and it's like. Here's here's what you need to tell with your story when you're selling a company, and and that's what's going to make your company successful. Well, it's cool because you hear throughout the podcast, and I think he only invests like a hundred thousand dollars, something like that. Yeah, and he was on it, like as like you think when someone like that puts a hundred grand in, like call me when it's worth a billion, <laughs> right, you know. Yeah. But he was like all over it giving a lot of time for this like for in the vc world what's considered a pretty you know on the smaller side yeah. of an investment yeah and i was like much respect yeah much respect also he's never really had much of an infrastructure behind him he you know his first fund uh it was just him and one other person like he had uh somebody doing his books but it was really just him and um and his wife got involved and then you know as he did more funds, it still was just kind of him. 
And uh, that was one of the reasons why Shark Tank got a little bit too much is because he doesn't have the infrastructure of employees that all the other sharks have. He has himself. So it's like right. when he's investing in something on Shark Tank, that's like a lot of his time because he wants to make sure he wants to, you know, make sure he can cultivate the company and the vision that he sees. So, yeah, it's he's a brilliant dude and I'm proud to be his brother. So to your point about your family growing up, can you track sort of uh, any interest or proclivity for for the biz, for for the razzle-dazzle of showbiz as a kid? Yeah, I mean, it was immediate. Um, my, uh, you know, growing up in a, a farm town, farm factory town of 10,000, I got lost in, in TV. Like, I would watch HBO. I didn't care if it was the worst movie on repeat. My wife doesn't understand why I know every word to Police Academy 5. And I'm like, because that's what I would like lose myself into is whatever is on HBO. And uh, and my brother felt the same way. And so we started making videos together when I was maybe five or six. And it was my mom worked at, my mom was a college professor and she um, uh, borrowed the VHS camera from her university and would bring it home so we could make little videos together my brother and I started making videos and I still have them they're gems like they are masterpieces of kid comedy where it's like you know cutting in the camera you have to press stop at the right time because you know it's going to rewind two and a half seconds afterwards and all right. this stuff so you're cutting in there and we made some incredible videos my dad got into it at one point and started found how to like hook the record player into the camera so we could put music over things like mm. it was legit and um and so because of that we we would do all these like little sketches at family functions and um and uh uh my parents were the ones that really pushed me to go into entertainment not they they didn't push me i always assumed i'll be like a lawyer like the rest of my family and in high school i was just doing plays because i liked doing plays and and they were like, this is something you love and you're good at. You should do this. And I was like, but I'm not going to make any money. They were like, that doesn't matter. Well, you know, you'll figure it out. Uh, you know, you're a hustler. Go do this. And so they they were the ones that were like, follow follow this path. And then two years later, you're opening it up for Dave Chappelle <laughs> and getting brutalized. <laughs> just I just love that he was late for the first show and then was there and somehow was late again. <laughs> for the second show. he was. That's what I never understand. If I ever have a sit down with him again, I'm going to say. <laughs> oh, you James will. Man yeah, James Madison University. Where'd you go, man? Second yeah. show. Where'd you go? <laughs> and like, if you're late two hours for the first show and then you do an hour show and then you're late another two hours, what time did he go on? 1 a.m.? Yeah, it was like, it was like one. It was, uh. Yeah, the first show was was supposed to be eight. He didn't out. Yeah, he went on. He went on at like eleven thirty, eleven forty five for the second show, something like that. Jim Brewer has this great story of when him and Dave Chappelle. He was young, crack it, baby. Ready? The, yeah, this is for you, kids. Uh, the, you're like a foley artist with <laughs> that was outstanding. Thank you very much. I feel proud of that. I um. Uh, uh, Jim Brewer tells a story. So him and Chappelle, they're like in their early 20s and they get a deal at ABC and Home Improvement is going to be their like lead in to their brand new show. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> That's just amazing. 
So they use Home Improvement as like a launch pad. So they actually have Dave and Jim do like three episodes of guest star on the show. They're on Home Improvement? No. (laughs) (laughs) Because Tim Allen, who understandably, I guess, in theory, was like, wait, I'm launching these guys to have their own show. And like, but I, I have no say in this. I'm the biggest show on ABC or whatever it was. Right. And like, what's going on here? And so Chappelle and Brewer on set and they're in front of the audience. And and Tim Allen's just like pissed and probably not acting, you know, the most gentlemanly to them. (laughs) And he's like, and Chappelle just looks at him. He's like, whatever you say to me. Like, <laughs> and like, and he said, basically, we didn't have a show <laughs> after that. One line. ABC's like, fuck these guys. They're yeah. out. Oh, my God. Done. Man. This is an industry. Especially that Tim Allen. Tim Allen's one that blows my mind because I appreciated Home Improvement. And, and it was fun for its time. But, like, he's not, he's not, you know, changing comedy by any means. But people are like, this guy, he's got it. Like, yeah. you know, still 30 some odd years later. They're like, he's rising to the top. Last yeah. man standing. They can't take it off the air. <laughs> they literally <laughs> took it off the air. And then they're like, no, no, we can't take this off the air. Yeah, put it oh back. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so you start doing, your, you're in your stand-up troupe. And then, and this is fascinating for me. And as you told me, how we first met was you started writing for award shows. Yeah, yeah. What's yeah. that look like? Oh, man, that is bizarre in so many so many weird ways. So I, when I came to LA, I, um, our first gig, like two weeks after I came out here was to write for the movie awards, the 2008 movie awards. And we got a great bit on, we got a bit where, um, uh, just a funny bit where Seth Rogen and James Franco were smoking weed and on, on stage, but they were saying that they weren't smoking weed, but they obviously were. It was very cleverly written. Well uh, done. Thank you very much. Uh, and that was fun. The movie awards was always fun because it was like, what crazy shit can you do? You know, like the next year was the year that um, uh, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen fell on Eminem's face in the 69 when he was naked and Eminem was pissed and it was all fun. It was staged, but all fun. And so it, that was fun. But then they were like, here's here's the other stuff that we want you to do. Here's like the kids' choice and the teen choice, which paid really well. But it's like, you know, the the joke was like, how many times can we write the like Webster's Dictionary defines best kiss as a kiss between two people, things like that. And, and that would inevitably be in every show. And so it was just this kind of like, factory where you're churning out bits for whatever celebrities were going to come on at the time. And, uh, and the one that the show that you were on were the VMAs. I want to say it was Oh nine, something like or that. May, maybe it was Oh eight or it could. Yeah. It was probably Oh eight. Yeah. Something been, like that. Oh wait. Yeah. It was, Oh, it was Oh eight because it was, it was the year that, uh, Kobe won the gold medal in the Olympics and national championships. And my great Kobe story is right after you guys went on, Kobe had to give a speech and he was having a panic attack because he was like, I can't do this. I don't go out and talk in front of people like this. Wow. And so I had to sit there and be like, you're a champion. You're the, you know, the number one dude in the world. You can do this. He's like, no, I can't. And I had to like talk him off the ledge. And then he went and did it and he came back and we had a nice hug afterwards. And he was like, thank you for that, man. And it's one of those things where it's like, 
He didn't even have an entourage. It was just Kobe in a suit. Like, it was such a bizarre experience all around. And always it, always so weird athletes in suits, right? Always they weird. don't look, they they don't look normal in civilian yeah, clothes. Like Their proportions are away. Like, yeah. he was a tall dude, and the suit was just kind of hanging off him. Uh, but, yeah, that's, it was such a – it's always a bizarre experience. There was one time – I think I was doing the – I think it was the Emmys, and um, – Rob Schneider was there, and we had written a bit for Rob Schneider, and he, you know, there's the, the uh, I can't remember what it was called, but where you, like, practice on the mic before you go out. You, like, go and you say your lines. Right. The, the actor says their And lines. you, like, they have a little place where it's on a teleprompter that's yeah. moving, and you can basically, like, rehearse it, and you speak it into the, into the mic so the guy in the van yeah. can hear you. Exactly. So it's, like... While someone else is presenting, you're in the back practicing. So Schneider's in the back practicing. And he and he reads the bit and he goes, This isn't fucking funny. This isn't funny. And he starts screaming. And oh, like, I've heard he's screaming. a real fucking peach, Jen yeah, Rob exactly. Schneider. Yeah. Come on, Schneider. You're welcome Schneider on listening to, right now. You're welcome on to the show. But <laughs> I'm not I, I I'm not gonna feel great about it. <laughs> <laughs> but please, please come on. Um yeah, he's throwing a bit, he's throwing a, a shit fit and, and he's screaming, and it's one of those things where it's like I don't remember what theater we at, but but the stage is right there. Like mm. if he's screaming loud enough, people on stage, it's, the mic's gonna catch it, and uh, and the head writer like calms him down and explains the bit to him. And I'll never forget this. Like Schneider just didn't understand what he was saying, and the head writer explains the bit, and then he goes, <laughs> "That's the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard." And then he went and did it. It was not the funniest thing <laughs> that has ever been written, nor was it a horrible bit. It was banter that people say on stage. And it was just like, what the fuck? So that's what that's what it was like backstage at that shit. Is there any way to make award show banter great? Like really great? No. It, you know what it is? The reason there are people who do really great award show banter because they cut out the middlemen. It's you have to send it to their team first, like mm. publicists and all that. And they will strip anything that's semi-risky, anything like that. Where where you have somebody like Will Ferrell is just gonna be like, let's figure this out. And then you're gonna figure something out with Will, and it's gonna be brilliant and it's gonna be memorable and fun. But most of the time, it's like you write a funny bit, you send it to the publicist, you're like, oh, this is so good. They're gonna be excited. And the publicist is like, no, this, this, this is out. And now it's like one tenth of the original bit. So it's a half ass bit, which is just gonna fall flat on stage and it always falls flat. This is my favorite thing yeah. in the world. Brian, I love this. When you see some actor who has no business <laughs> writing nothing, I don't think they can even spell their name, and they come on with some ad lib that you know there's big stupid team, they're 18 fucking hairdressers, and they're like 17 nutritionists. We're like, yes, Kendra. Yes, you're fu You're funny, too. You should do stand-up, Kendra. Wow. <laughs> and they fucking do it, and it falls. It and falls. It falls flat, and my favorite part, too, is when – when you can tell it's an improv and the other person there wasn't expecting it and they're like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. it would, let's just get through this. Oh, it's it feels so good. We had somebody, you know, who's, who's the, the king of that? Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, is Jamie Foxx. Like, anytime we had Jamie Foxx on, we were like, let's just write something regular because he's going to make his own shit up anyways when he goes out there. Sometimes it legitimately does kill and it's engaging and awesome. Right. 
a lot of times it's just like, oh, Jamie Foxx, this isn't about you. This is about those people down there. Like, let let the award getters get their award. Like, shut up for a second. So it's so hard because, and in, in the few times have I've been in this scenario, it's like unless you have a really winning, a like a killer joke that you know will crush. It's like it's so much better. And and I remember doing this for the 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 MTV Awards where yeah. we met. And I remember just being like, I'm just going to say it. Yeah. I got nothing to prove here. But the problem is if you just say it, then you're like, why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a great point. And that's the weird. I mean, that's why award shows are so weird. And there's so many of them now. They're so stupid. They're so stupid. I haven't written on one in, oh, God, uh, almost 10 years. Like, I stopped in like 2011, I think. And it, my... My favorite part about it is I I didn't really want to write on them anymore. I was on the show where the execs on it were miserable, and, and I just didn't want to be there. I love the other writers on that show. I met some people who are still friends with. But uh, halfway through it, I got the audition for Wolf of Wall Street. And when I got a a, a bit of a response that was like, yeah, you're you're kind of being considered, like that day I was like, Fuck this, guys. I love all you, but I'm done. I'm, I'm, out. I'm out. I can't do this anymore. I, I, just can't, I can't write fire lines for Sophia Bush anymore. I gotta fucking go. Yeah, that was exactly it. And I got out, and it felt great. Did, like, I remember Russell Brand um, hosted the movie awards, I think the year I was there. Because I remember yeah. we made really intense eye contact. <laughs> And I was like, Russell, I don't want to fuck. <laughs> but I think we're going to. But I will. I think we are. I'm down. <laughs> are you in me? <laughs> happening? Are we on stage right now? Do you do you guys help with the monologues too? That's a separate team. Mm. Um, usually the the host will bring in their own team, but a lot of times the hosts will will uh, ask for the the other writers' input. I'll uh, <laughs> I remember this is on the Emmys. Jane Lynch was hosting, and she was lovely. But the day before, she invited us all in to uh, to just like riff some jokes, and uh, and she she improv something. I don't remember what it was, and I went, <laughs> "That's funny." And she goes, "Oh, really? Who the fuck are you?" No. And I was like, oh, "I'm just one of the writers." She was like, "Mm-hmm, mm-hmm," and I like just like crawled into myself and I was like I'm done she was you know she was just she actually said later she was like I thought you were some network executive I don't know why I don't look like a network exec she was like I thought you were some little shitty network exec sorry but it was like one of those like holy shit moments and she was fine and what if I was a network exec am I not a human fucking being Jane Lynch yeah come on Jane we're in this together. God. We're all going through this planet Earth together. She's built like a night stalker from Harry Potter. <laughs> like, you know, like her yeah. big six foot five frame just coming through. <laughs> Jane, please. <laughs> Probably have to cut that out, Kevin. <laughs> I don't want to get canceled. <laughs> I was like, how far can we go with this joke? Let's keep going. Let's see where we go. Um <laughs> so um, so you do Wolf of Wall Street. What's yeah. that like? What's that set like? Oh man, that set was the greatest. Now let me to put it in perspective. I had I pretty much quit the industry, especially acting. Mm. Um, because been there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was done for about eighteen months. Like I'd had a path where I would where I was working with a writing partner. We found some success with YouTube, some really early success, and it was great. 
But we wanted to transition into, you know, TV and film, and it just wasn't happening. We were basically just writing on award shows. And so I was like, I'm going to step back. I'm just going to produce digital content because I'm good at this. I can make little commercials and whatnot. And uh, and I was taking gigs, writing award shows because it was money. And then I booked Wolf of Wall Street, and I hadn't been on camera in almost two years. And so uh, I, I had that kind of producer mentality still in me. And so I go on set like this is a, a, a great example of how my brain was not fucking prepared for this. We're in a rehearsal. It's me, Leo, Scorsese, Jonah Hill, my buddy PJ Byrne, and this guy Ken Choi. And we're rehearsing some scenes throughout the thing. It's just us in this huge room. And uh, and Leo and Martin Scorsese, I say Leo, he's, I'm going to say Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> he's not my bud. Lee. I'm not going to text him. Call Lee. him Lee. I'm going to call him Lee. Um, my buddy Dee Dee and I. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, Leo's here, Martin Scorsese, he's at the end of the end of the table, and they start arguing over how to shoot a scene. And Leo wants it one way, Scorsese wants it another way. And I'm sitting here and they they keep going. And I just raise my hand and I go, guys, guys. And I do that and immediately I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Man? Oh, like, fuck. you don't say this. And Scorsese looks at me and it's like, Brian? And I'm like, and I and I don't know why I said this, but I was like, you're gonna shoot it on a circle track, right? which is in no basis of anything. And he's like, uh-huh. And I'm like, then you shoot it both ways, man. And he looks at Leah and he looks at me and he's like, yeah, okay, we'll shoot it both ways. And like in that moment, I was just like, oh my God, like what the fuck did I just do? Like, I'm not a producer. I'm an actor. I'm supposed to sit here and shut the fuck up and say my lines. And I didn't and it worked out and they did shoot it both ways. And it was on a circle track, which I like cried when I saw that that scene. But it was just one of those like, holy shit, I almost got fired before this even started because my brain wasn't in the right space for it. And then I like immediately snapped in. It's like, okay, be an actor. Just be an actor. Wow. So, yeah, and it was great. No, I mean, on that that set is a particular rarefied air. But And I don't mean to project, but I feel like for guys like us, and I feel this way in certain respects of like, if I'm on a sitcom or a half-hour comedy, it's just really, really hard for me at this point to just if I know or feel something in my gut is off to just be like a good soldier and be like, whatever you say, boss, yeah. like I'll go down with the ship. Cause I've been Very down much. with that ship and the water is freezing. Yeah, yeah. I'm tired. Exactly. I don't want to be in the, with the ship. If you're, if you're, if I'm spending my time doing this with you, I'm going to put my two cents in. Yeah. Wolf of Wall Street's different though. Because yes. like, that's what I, I, I shouldn't have spoken up and it was, it worked out totally fine. But yeah, now like, What's funny is I think doing Wolf has given me the credentials to be like, guys, 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 I worked with Martin Scorsese. Let me give you my two cents. <laughs> guys, <laughs> circle track. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but being on that set was incredible because Scorsese uh, is kind of like a professor where he'll like tell you why he's making the decisions he's making, which is so valuable. And so I just listened most of the time and just saw him do his thing. I mean, I was there five and a half months um, just watching him work, and he is a champion. What's uh, DiCaprio's process like? Oh, my God, the most prepared man I've ever seen. I bet. Like, and that was, I was impressed and and just in awe of that. Like, he would come to set. I remember there was two days where he had two 15-minute monologues in a row, and he was word-perfect off book for both and could make choices within those monologues, could improvise, was funny as shit, like, 
could throw out different, you know, lines and and crush it. Was that the I'm not fucking leaving? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was I'm not fucking leaving. And then there's another speech he gives before that, or maybe it's after that. But both of those were like back to back, and he crushed it both times. I don't think this is speaking out of school because I've actually heard this publicly. Does he have a coach on set, like somebody he works with? He has a, a dialect coach mm. who's also kind of like a tiny bit of an acting coach. Like um, watching his back. Yeah, Tim Monick. He's an amazing dude. The guy is like the king of dialects. Um, my uh, speech teacher in college, uh, it was her mentor. So like I knew who this guy was, a lovely dude. And... Uh, so yeah, he would be there and he would kind of go up and be like, hey, like you're saying this word, you know, this word should be like this. And maybe your intention is more like this. And Leo would see it. But then Scorsese obviously was the, the you know, boss of all bosses when it yeah. came to that. But yeah, it, the watching all of them work was amazing in terms of you know, experimenting within the dialogue and then experimenting outside of the dialogue. Like there's this scene where um, where we're talking about throwing the little person. Mm. There's like four of us. It's Jonah, Leo, PJ Byrne, and myself at a table. And uh, and I didn't know really what we were going to do in that scene. It was like maybe half a page scene, maybe something like that. And Scorsese put four cameras up and was like, I just want you guys to run. Just have fun. And so we like went into the parking lot and started riffing shit, the four of us. Like, what funny shit can we say in the scene? And and uh, and then got on a table and did like five takes where they just let the cameras run for fifteen minutes and it was the greatest. And, wow! Yeah, so. I um I remember Jonah Hill talking about Scorsese and be like his great gift is his ability to solve really complicated problems rapidly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a guy. He's a brilliant dude, and he is like a he is. Uh, uh, such a oh thank you very much amazing um he's such a uh a, a cinephile like he knows every movie he can he's he's seen them all ten thousand times he would spend his lunches watching movies in his trailers and then talk about the shots that he had just seen and how he's gonna emulate some of those shots in the movie it was amazing so yeah he his brain works to put the puzzle together of filmmaking and it's really it was incredible to watch. And then we saw each other again on a promotion for your TV show, Wrecked, yeah. in Mexico, and you shot it in Puerto Rico. We shot the first season in Puerto Rico, the second two seasons, the second and third season in Fiji. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, the only place worse than Puerto Rico <laughs> is Fiji. Fiji. <laughs> no, yeah. you did? Yeah, yeah. Was that the worst? Uh <laughs> It was, you could be honest. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you both sides of the story. The weekends were amazing. The the most beautiful ocean in the world, like a warm ocean where it's like you get in and it's like a bath. Uh, more like coral and fish. Um, we anything you could ever imagine doing in a tropical place. The weekends, the weekdays, hundred degree heat in a jungle with hundred percent humidity. Uh, people getting heat stroke all the time. The plants there uh, can give you staph infections. Sick. So, like, if you got cut by a plant, like, clean it as fast as you could because you never know what's in there. I got cut on my arm, and uh, it didn't heal for, like, eight months. Like, crazy, because you were in some, like, jungle, jungle. So that was intense. The shooting was intense. But the night, like, we would 
we would always wrap as the sun was going down because we we're shooting mostly by natural light. And then we would all go to the pool and have a drink and like watch the sunset in the pool. Like the cast and crew, we all lived together on the same resort. So awesome. Also, we got hit with two cyclones in the second season. One of them took our set off, you know, 100 yards, 100 feet into the jungle, 100 miles into the jungle. Um, so like some crazy shit. Happened. How many days did you have to take off for that? Did the set died? One. They only gave us one day off and they're like, figure it out. TBS wow. was like, figure it out. Um, but we had a lot of fun on it. It was an amazing show. I, I, you know, I, I know that it sounds like such uptown champagne problems to be like, <laughs> how awful was Fiji in Puerto Rico? But it's like, you forget that that even Hawaii, like the most beautiful places like that on earth, unless you're from there and a native, yeah, like is great. But then you're, you know, I know how remote Fiji is. It's uh, 11 and a half hours away. Yeah. And you're away from everyone. The everyone. Wi-Fi, not great. Wi-Fi is not great. We actually, that was a big fight for the second season or the third season. We were like, we need better Wi-Fi. Yeah. Like, I need to FaceTime. Uh, yeah, we, I... My wife and kid came down in the third season, and they were going to be there for a few weeks. The night they arrived, we got hit with a cyclone. They stepped through it, but I was, like, watching the ocean, waiting for the tsunami to come in and take us out. And then a week later, uh, a Category 4 was coming in, and I was like, I gave my wife, like, an hour notice. I was like, you're getting on a plane. You're going home because who knows what's going to happen. Like, this is a fucking hurricane coming at us. And so we had to throw her plane back to LA. So that's like the crazy shit of shooting on location. Like it's, Jeez. we got, oh man, we got, um, uh, and this, I didn't have to deal with this, but production was telling me like uh, the, one of the villages where our set was, was like, yeah, I think we're going to double the price of what we're charging you guys. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like we have a deal. And they're like, well, I don't know. We may have to burn down your set. So you may want to pay us twice as much. So they're just getting like fleeced every which way. It was insane. Sick. <laughs> well, I remember we did a, uh, they were doing this big press event in Mexico for your show. Yeah. And they had hired me and a couple other influencers yeah. to come and like do some fun stuff. And it couldn't have been a better time. Mm -hmm. And what was so funny leading up to that was that my show, Grandfathered, was on the air. Yeah. And it was on the precipice of getting canceled. <laughs> and I couldn't have done... The, and, you know, I, I was like... I was sort of at that point with the show where I love doing it. But, yeah. I, you know, when you're on a show that's, like, barely staying afloat, you're like, just do it already. Yeah. Like, if you're going to yeah. take just, it off the air, it. Yeah. Let, let's be done. And I remember that I couldn't go and basically advertise your show <laughs> while on Grandfathered. <laughs> so I was like, you guys got to cancel this thing so I can go to Mexico with Wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do this. I want to go to Mexico. That place was legit where we stayed. I, it, it was a good a, time. It, had a, it was a fun time. That was a fun time. But I get that, man. I, I mean, there was, there was, I felt that way with Wrecked. I wanted it to continue uh, just to see how they were going to close out the story. But um, it was like a year after our third season before they decided not to do another season. I was like, just cancel it, guys. Like, our options are up. You don't even have this anymore. Right. Just say it's done and let's and let's move on. Just like emotionally let me move on from this thing. Um, but I still, like, part of me is like, maybe one day we'll get to shoot a TV movie of the end of wrecked you got to go back i just want to like see how it ends one more one more just give me give me like an hour 
and and let's finish this thing. Yeah. So talk about your new movie because I want to make sure that we promote it. Yeah, my new movie is called Buffaloed. Uh, it is a, written by written produced. by produced by me, starring me a little bit. Wow. Um, and it's about a. Uh, uh, a young woman who's desperate to get out of Buffalo, New York, and will do anything she can to hustle her way out and um, uh, finds that Buffalo, this is true, Buffalo is kind of the de facto home for delinquent debt collection, uh, like credit card medical debt. And so she weasels her way into the underground world of debt collection and kind of becomes its king. So, yeah, it's Love weird. It. It's fun. It's a fun movie. Uh, people like it. 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, which makes me happy. That's like one of those things that That's makes me huge. happy. That's huge. Yeah. Uh, New York Times critic critics pick. Uh, so a lot of real positives off it that I'm happy about. You know who the New York Times hates? Yeah. Your boy. Josh Beck. Oh, really? I can't fucking buy a good review in that newspaper. <laughs> you think I'm Donald Trump? <laughs> they fucking hate me. What the fuck? A.O. Scott hates me. Oh, God. That's what I was. I was <laughs> sure. My my first review in the New York Times was from this off Broadway show, and I think they they called me something like boring or something. Where it just Ugh. like, as a twenty one year old, I was like, maybe I should give up now. And I thought that's what was going to happen. And when they they said that my my script was zippily entertaining, and I was like, I will take that. I will take that, and I will live off of that for a year. Like, thank you, New York Times. Shit, yeah, they can be brutal, dude. That goes in your special skills and your resume. <laughs> Zippy. I can I can be zippily entertaining if you need me to. <laughs> um, okay, final question. Yeah. The thing that I ask everyone on the podcast. What are your one or two Brian Saka commandments? Truths that you have discovered that you'd want to impress upon someone else? Um a as a creative, the one thing that I've discovered that I live by now is I don't make anything for anybody else. I only make things for myself. And it's something I learned uh, halfway through my career where when I stopped trying to appease my peers or an audience that I don't know and just did what I thought was entertaining and funny, um, then I found who I was as a creative. Um, and then... On top of that, um, there's no reason not to be nice on set. That's my biggest thing. Like, I, I seen, I've seen so many people be mean for no reason, and uh, and I think you can put that in in any other context besides set. But there's just no reason not to be nice if you can be. Dude, thank you. Thank you, man. This is great. It was really lovely being here. Oh man, thank you so much. <laughs> awesome. That was it. That was Brian Saka, and that was good. That was great podcasting, and that was fun, and that was a fun ride trip thing. So I really hope you enjoyed it, because I know I did, and it just a big, giant, ooh, fun way. So, yeah. Other than that, guys, nothing. That's it. Nothing else to say. So if you're uh, struggling or having a tough time, well, welcome to the fucking club, you know? Yep, you're not alone. And maybe that'll make you feel better. The cold reality of the fact that you ain't alone in your neuroses, in your paranoia, in your, your fears, we're all in it. We're all in it together. We're all sharing in that. 
And I know that I'm going to try to, you know, I'm going to do my best to give a helping hand because I know I'm lucky to be the host of the Curious Podcast. And this is episode 100. Episode 100 of the Curious Podcast, where every week I get to sit with you, the listener, and we get to just chop, chop, chop it up. We get to have a little language of the heart. We get to have a little chitty chat about the the goings-ons between us. And it's a language of the heart, man. That's what it is. So I want to thank you guys because couldn't do this without you. I really appreciate that you guys listen to it. I'd really appreciate it if you gave us five stars on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You don't have to. I mean, you can. It'd be awesome and it does help, but I don't. You owe me nothing because we get ads. So that's how you pay me back. Guys, I love doing this podcast. It means the world to me. I love podcasts. They move me. They make me feel shit. They teach me. And it's probably the primary entertainment source or media source for me, the way I take in information. And uh, the fact that you guys use and enjoy the Curious Podcast and have it as a part of your rotation of podcasts uh, means the world to me. I couldn't do it without you. So thank you. Thank you for listening. And uh, hopefully we get to do another hundred of these. All right. See you next week. Bye.